episode 25 of Slam City. That's right, folks. We already have 25 episodes. Quarter of a century. Exactly. This is Ray Memorial. You got Jeremy. I see Jimmy Cross for me. We are back after two weeks. As you know, the elections are done. We had a week off for Veterans Day, so yeah. salute all the troops Great for their great sacrifice they gave to the country to serve and give up a lot of their lives and time to serve overseas and protect our freedom. So we're very much appreciative for that. Yeah, for sure. And, of course, we got to talk a little bit about the election before we get into all these Well, we're a week behind, but... Parts. It's yeah. it's the major storyline. It's transcended. Still talking about it right now. Yeah, no, because it's a mess. Because yeah. we elected a terrible person. So let me ask you this, Jeremy. When when they elected Trump, because I was up until like two thirty in the morning, right? When they elected Trump, how did you feel? Miserable. You know, we elected the most dangerous candidate that we could have possibly elected, and it, we're we're a sports show, so we're gonna get to the sports, but. This is something that has transcended everything. You hear a lot of sports people talking about it, specifically head coaches from the NBA. You've heard Stan Van Gundy talk about it, Steve Kerr talk about it, Terry Stotts talk about it. And the rhetoric Donald Trump used during the his campaign was racist, misogynistic, and about every negative thing you could possibly say. And... Not saying the other candidate, Hillary Clinton, was a saint. She had trust issues and things like that. And her background, too. Well, with a background... But you look at Donald Trump's background, it's a similar thing. But what Donald Trump was able to do was he tapped into a voter base that felt that they they haven't mattered and that Washington insiders haven't really cared about them. And he rolled back to victory. And I'm very much against his policies. I think a lot of the stuff he wants to do is not only impractical, it's unprecedented and is a disaster. And I'm interested to hear what do you have to think about it? Well, I have to say this. When I first saw the results, I had to say myself, you know, I thought Clinton was like, he had a comfort, she had a comfortable lead. I thought she, she went to California. I thought she had a chance and made it close. That's the thing. But then, the pollsters had it completely wrong. And I studied political science in college. I've been involved in presidential politics since 2012 where I had the chance to go to the presidential debate there, ask a question, got to meet President Obama. So I've been studying this for a while. And you can look at it with the Brexit effect where Britain left the European Union, where the polls showed that the Britain people, the people of Britain were going to vote to stay in the union. And then it was an overwhelmingly vote to leave the union. And so there was definitely a Brexit effect in the polls here, and all the polls had it wrong. This was never a not close race. You know, you had the Comey letter that came out. It, it was a very nuanced and very complicated. And we know a lot of you guys listen to us for sports, so we're not going to break it all down. But unfortunately, the country did something very self-destructive, in my opinion at least, in electing Donald Trump. But you also look at it from this standpoint. I think a lot of political journalists have been pretty much i wouldn't say shot but those was like the reputation is no because all if you look at all the forecasts yeah so they're all most of them had it hillary clinton with a 90 plus percent chance it's only changed to like trump now like no but even before the election and before the results in the exit polls started coming in that like new york times cnn msnbc they all had it hillary it's like a 95% 95% chance of winning. Nate Silver, who got it terribly wrong, like all the all, all the other people, I think had it 75-25%. And 
and he was getting killed that he even gave Trump a 25% chance to win. So the pollsters had it completely wrong. Do you think that has to do with the fact that maybe deep inside they thought that Trump really had a chance, but they didn't come No, they, I think what happened, and this is a mea culpa for the media too, the media didn't, when he announced... They didn't take him seriously at all. Maybe, you, and maybe that's what really backfired. Maybe, maybe no, they they treated him as a joke, and they gave him billions of dollars of free ad time, free publicity. Because, for example, Jeff Zucker, the president of the CNN, yeah. he went on TV and talked about you know after Trump was actually wanted to you know what maybe when he announced we shouldn't have broken our coverage and just gave showed him showed some of his early campaign speeches. And that was the CNN's coverage because the ratings went so high because he's such a controversial figure and he would say such outlandish things that people would tune in to hear what he was going to say. And that gave him a platform and that gave him more exposure. And, you know, he tapped into the American reality television culture because he's a reality star and he was able to kind of get that mindset of people who vote on shows like American Idol and vote for... You know, reality stars instead of actually looking at the things, and then they basically make a reality television star who's gone bankrupt several times. Yeah, he's, all the time. Most you know, the time he's been sued. He's people. He's misogynist. He's admitted to behavior that you could describe as you know being a sexual predator. And now he's the president of the United States. But you also look at it from from this standpoint. We they have elected a president. Well, pretty much was entertained throughout the whole debate. I think what no, he didn't take none. He didn't take any of this seriously. Yeah, exactly. But also the 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 audience. I think they they look at it in today's society and pretty much in anything that they love things that are drama or entertainment. Exactly, much they more w- than serious topics. Exactly, they they like like when in one of the debates where you know Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton says you know it's a good thing Donald Trump isn't in charge of the law in this country. Then Donald Trump goes, oh well, you'd be in jail. That's people love that. Yeah, they just love but do you that. we in our country we don't put our political opponents in jail? Yeah, no one does that. That no, no dictators do that. Yeah, the fact that and you know he's scary that they're comparing the, him to, you know, the, the dictator. A lot of his rhetoric is somewhat of a dictator. But the bottom line is, and this will be the last thing we talk about before we get into sports. Yeah, is that. As much as I don't like to say it, because I was not a Trump supporter, I'm very against I'm, a lot of his policies. I think they're racist. I think they're anti-Muslim, you know, anti-Semitic, anything you could really say. But he is the president of the United States now. And as um, as citizens, we do have to respect the office. And hopefully we'll all, we're all wrong about how bad he is. I mean, he's changing a lot of stuff that he said before, so maybe... But he's flip-flop. That's not yeah. a good thing. Yeah. We have no idea what he's going to do. And That's Unpredictability is not good in a president. And also, you got to look at this, though. If Clinton was president, she'd probably flip-flop, too, because in her past, she has flip-flop on a lot of serious topics Not, as not well. to the extent that she... You could, this is my analogy of it. Both these... Candidates weren't good. That's they were probably going to be one-term presidents, but Hillary Clinton was the country's vegetables, right? Yeah. You didn't like it. But, you know, you have to eat it because, you know, it'll be good for you down the line. Yeah. Donald Trump is kind of like gas station sushi. Oh. It looks good. It might even taste good. But you'll immediately have buyer's remorse. And yeah. I think our country's feeling that a lot with the turmoil of the transition team, some of the people he's appointing, like he's appointing Steve Bannon, who has ties to the alt-right. You know, so 
we got to hope he succeeds, but hopefully it, the country did something very destructive, in my opinion, I, by electing Donald Trump. I say this one last thing though. I always said this: always respect your opponent. Listen, he may be laughable, he may be a jokester, or whatever, but you can't get arrogant, you can't get cocky, as Clinton was, yeah. and most of the country was, and that's what happened. Steve Kerr said the same thing. He said. That there was no respect for the opponent on either side. Yeah. And he said that the debates were a joke. They were a joke. Everything was just like Drama. nastiness. There was no... The, they're running for the highest office in the land. There is a respect level and a dignity that comes with that. And neither candidate really showed that at yeah. any time. Greg Popovich went off. Stanford Gundy went off. And that's why we're talking about it because it's transcend it's going into sports. sports you hear lebron james talking lebron james stumped for hillary clinton yeah you're hearing the guys in nba on tnt with ernie johnson gave a very yeah. eloquent speech so yeah. you know we'd be remiss if we didn't have the chance to talk about the election even though we are a little behind because we yeah. had last week off for veterans day yeah but we'll see what happens all we can see we just wait and see what hope and see that you know he we're all wrong and he's a successful president because at the end of the day and this hurts me to say this because I did not want Donald Trump to be the president. But if he's successful, then the country is successful. Yeah. And like President Obama said, we're all on the same team. We're all patriots. Yeah. We have a special guest here today on Slam City. It's Nick Nicholas from B-Ball Breakdown. Uh, he's an NBA analysis. Give us some stats and some stuff happening around the NBA. What's up, Nick? It's Raymond and Jeremy. No problem. So we're based in New York, and with the Knicks' slow start this season, you see that they have a, their lineup when they put Porzingis at the five is really strong. And we know you're big into the stats and analytics and things like that. What do the numbers show that with Porzingis at the five in terms of the Knicks? You know, the, how their plus minus, their offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency. Yeah, I think the Knicks as a whole are definitely better with Porzingis at the five. Um, I think it adds a different dimension to their offense because then you can move Carmelo to the four and I think there's just a lot more space and a lot more creativity and when KP is guarded by other fives um, it makes it easier for him to put on the floor and make plays because centers can't really stick with him because of how quick he is uh, and cerebral on the perimeter so I think it's both good for KP uh, individually and collectively for the Knicks as a whole do you, oh, you go for, right. do you think uh, the, the Joker no signing was probably a mistake then at this point of the season? Yeah, I, I thought it was a mistake when it happened. I just think that, um, like I said, KP as a five is probably where uh, the direction the Knicks should be going. Yeah. Um, and I think that money probably could have been spent elsewhere. So. When you look at the NBA today with the small ball trend, is that you think that's something that's here to stay, or that it'll eventually evolve where a team with a dominant big man will be able to take advantage of that? Um, you know, I, I think it could go both ways. Um, you know, you have like a team like Oklahoma City last year uh, that gave the Warriors problems with two traditional bigs, like Stephen Adams um, and Serge Ibaka. Um, but I think the key now is that even if both of if you're playing two bigs. They both need to be pretty mobile. Um, something that Steven Adams and Serge Ibaka were last year. So I think I think it can be a way to counteract teams that are smaller and quicker, but you still need to have that mobility factor. What do you make of the Clippers so far this year? It's year six together. It's kind of this is like kind of their boom or bust year where they 
either take that next step or you're going to have to really look seriously at breaking up that team with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin. Um, I think are free agents after the end of this year. And Defensively, they're really good. And then you add most space to that bench. Do you think the Clippers could theoretically challenge the Warriors in a playoff series? Yeah, I, li- I liked a lot of what the Clippers did this summer. They added a few you know, cheap veteran options, like you said, most space. They added Felton, uh, Alan Anderson. So they added a lot of guys that could you know, help boost the bench depth, which they needed. Um, and like you said, it's definitely a boomer bust year. Everyone's talking about it, and even they're talking about the type of urgency they need. Um, and I think... You know, Chris Paul, he's starting to age and get up there in age, so um, he's really looking to cement himself as an elite player. Um, just, I think people, everyone's talking about Russ and James Harden and Steph and, you know, Chris Paul definitely wants part of that conversation as well. Uh, speaking of James Harden, you know, you look at a guy at the point guard position for the Rockets, and, you know, he's putting up triple doubles, putting up double doubles. I mean, leading the league in points, not in points, but in assists, and he yeah. could theoretically lead the league at the end of, in scoring at the end of the year. Yeah, you think that Tony, who put him at point guard position, you think this has probably been the smartest thing anybody's ever done, uh, putting, uh, especially having James Harden on the team? Yeah, I think uh, James Harden definitely, obviously, better with the ball in his hands, but I, I think, you know, Mike Antonio came out and said he's going to be the point guard, but kind of how it's been the past few years with James Harden leading the team in usage, always having the ball in his hands. Um, so I don't think much has changed in terms of like the role he's playing. Um, he's going to play with a guy who is more of an off-guard guy like Eric Gordon, who can play like a little, but not really a lead guard. And then a guy like Patrick Beverly is just coming back. So definitely James Harden is the lead guy, and then just playing him alongside a guy who's more comfortable on the ball. So the Warriors obviously added Kevin Durant, and you know they lose to the Spurs, they lose to the Lakers. But do you think they're kind of how long do you think it'll take for them to find their groove in terms of distributing touches? You know, Clay Thompson has started off slow. So what do you think about the Warriors and their growing process? Because even though they're a super team, you look at the Miami Heat when they were put together, which isn't really a good comparison because LeBron and Wade couldn't really shoot. But they went nine and eight through the first seventeen games. Do you think that the Warriors are? better equipped to start a little faster and keep this momentum going, or do you see a period where they'll lose a few in a row? Um, I, I could see them losing, and they obviously don't look as great as people suspected early on, which doesn't really surprise me, but I think going forward, um, they have a lot of guys who fit. Like, when I look at the Miami Heat roster with LeBron and Wade, you know, that, that was two ball-dominant guys. Um, so they, they probably needed a longer process of learning how to play together, but when you look at the Warriors, um, I think they're more versatile in terms of the personnel, um, you know, KD, Clay, Steph, they can all spot up, um, which which obviously LeBron and Wade couldn't do, so I think that in terms of like how they fit, and because they are all able to spot up, it doesn't really matter whose ball is in his hands, you know, we've seen a lot where Steph likes to go off the ball and Iguodala will handle the ball a little more. So I think that factor makes it a little easier in terms of how well they're going to transition this team into what they're going to come. Do you think a lack of a rim protector like they had in Andrew Bogut last year is going to hurt them in the playoffs, say, against a team like the Clippers or the Spurs with Pau Gasol and Marcus Aldridge? Um, well, you know, they don't have uh, necessarily the rim protector. Um, 
five position when they're starting to go them, but they do have the um, ability to go small with Draymond at the five, who is an elite rim protector um, in terms of deterring shots and being vertical at the rim. So when they do that, they can move Kevin Durant to the four. That's a lot of length inside. You know, we saw Kevin Durant last year uh, in the postseason give the Warriors problems at the rim, blocking shots and using his length. Is it possible that maybe we could see Durant at the five position considering how tall he is? Uh, can you say that again? Oh, is it possible to see Durant at the five position considering how tall and athletic he is? Yeah, I think he could play the five a little, but I, I think their best equipped position You know, I, uh, I look at these interesting stats from your website. One of them was uh, the DeMar DeRozan and how he's slowly regressing to his shooting numbers that he put up in prior seasons. And you see it's 50% from cl- closest defender, 0 to feet, 2 to 4 feet, 56, 4 to 6, 45, and 6 plus 57. I mean, are we seeing a player where he's just exactly the same he was a few seasons ago? Or, or it's just he, he is what he is at this point, scoring and leading the league in points? Well, you know, I think DeRozan, if you look back at the last few years, that's pretty much the type of player he's going to be. He's going to be a guy who you can give the ball to, clear out in isolation situations, and ask him to make difficult shots. But when a guy can't shoot threes like DeRozan, and he is primarily a contested shot maker, then his efficiency is going to be limited. His ceiling in terms of efficiency is going to be really limited. Even right now, Still shooting unbelievably from mid-range, from twos, um, but his true shooting percentage is only about 58%, which is high for him. But in terms of the league, it's really not that efficient. So, you know, I think that's pretty much what he is. I don't think anything's going to change now that he's growing older. Um, it's just about right now. It's just he's making a ridiculous amount of mid-range attempts, but that is bound to go down, and it has started to, as you said. So we talked, just talked about a little bit about one team in the Eastern Conference, and I wanted to talk a little bit about the Boston Celtics. I know Al Horford and Jay Crowder are injured right now, but even when those guys weren't injured, on the floor defensively, Boston has been an atrocious team. Rebounding, they've been really bad. What have you? What are your numbers saying? What have you seen from them so far this year? And would you say they have a little bit of buyer's remorse on a guy like Al Horford? Um, you know, I think it's hard to say if they have any buyer's remorse at this point. I know it's early, but would you say after watching Cleveland play, it's basically Cleveland and then everybody else? Uh, yeah, that's usually how it is. I and mean, the thing when, like, when the Celtics take on the Cavs or the Raptors or even Charlotte, we saw 
uh, a week ago. You know, when they take on the Cavs, it's like they can stay in it for like three and a half quarters, but when it really comes down to it, Cavs just have LeBron, Kyrie, and Kevin Love, and the other team doesn't, and they just don't have the individual manpower to close it out. Um, and, and we saw that in the Toronto series in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. You know, they, they can win a few games, but closing out the Cleveland Cavaliers in a seven-game series, the type of individual players that they have is extremely hard to do. Have you ever seen anyone in terms of being as efficient and as consistent as he's been over his career as, a, as LeBron James? Um, I mean, not in my lifetime. I'm only 21, but I've never seen anything quite like it. Um, just his ability to, um, you know, make players better, his, his passing, um, he just makes it look so easy. Um, you know, some of his skip passes uh, are just unbelievable. And how he can just, like, jump over defenders and make passes that are just so accurate from, like, 20 to 25 feet away is, is really remarkable. Um, and then we know, you know, how good he is in terms of scoring and, and uh, uh, Nick, is there one team particularly, well, actually one team from the East and the West uh, that we can say that we should keep an eye on that might possibly get hot at the right time, but possibly remember, remember into December? Yeah, um, you know, I think in the East, um, for the past few years, the Hornets have been underlooked. Um, they're, they're really disciplined especially on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. Um, Hubbard, um, really get this guy to play hard, and everyone knows his team, and it's a scheme that fits their players. Um, and Kemba's playing awesome right now. He's shooting the lights out. Um, and he, he had a, I talked about it on my career, but he had a little hitch in his shot last year that was fixed, and since then, his three-point percentage has just gone sky high. Um, and then he had in Batum, who's a really good secondary playmaker, and they kind of play off each other, and I really like the Hornets in the East. Um, and I think it's a team that's they're seven and three, and they're they're just not many people are talking about. So I think that's the team in the East for me. Um, and then in the West, I think I mean I, I guess I have to give a plug to to my Utah Jazz, who um, they're injured right now, but. And, and last night was not the best of games, but, you know, when you get a guy like George Hill back, um, I, I think they'll really start to come on. You know, last year, um, they didn't have much point guard play. Roland Metal started about 60 games for them, and he's more of a backup or even a third-string point guard. And so, you know, bringing George Hill into the fold, um, and, and they're, they're, like, top seven in defensive efficiency right now. So I think when you get a guy like George Hill back and then, Derek Favors is injured. When you get a guy like him back, I think their offensive efficiency was just uh, pretty low right now. I think that'll start to come up, and then their defense will stay, you know, top five or top six, and I think they'll have something there. Interesting. So let me ask you this last question then. If, who who do you think is a clear cut MVP right now? Not saying at the end of the season because probably end of the season it could be LeBron because he's putting up assist numbers maybe or, or Westbrook or bring his triple double probably or yeah or Durant maybe or Curry depending one of those two players in the Warriors. But who do you think is a clear cut MVP as of right now? Uh, I think it's James Harden. Um, just the, when you look at the amount of weight that is put on his shoulders 
night in and night out, not only in terms of how many minutes he's playing, but how much he has the ball in his hand. Um, I think it looked a few days ago, and he had the ball in his hand for like nine and a half minutes of the game, which is a long amount of time when you think about yeah. like half, of the, half of the possession season, his team doesn't even have the ball. Um, so you take into account that, you take into account his usage, and then you look to see how bad the Rockets are when he's off the court for the eight or ten minutes that he's off the court. They're, they're just a terrible team. They'd be like probably the worst in the league in terms of net rating. So um, I, I'll give them that to Harden at this point. Nicholas Salas, thanks for joining us from BasketballBreakdown.com. Thank you very much, and we hope to have you back again soon. Yeah, we'll be in contact. Okay, great. All right. Thanks for having me. Well, the interesting conversation we have with Nick on all things basketball because it's still early in the season. Very informative, provided an analytic, you know, yeah. perspective, and yeah, it was a nice conversation. He's he thinks the Utah Jazz might be a sleeper. I think Utah's a good team, but they've always been a sleeper almost uh, every year. No, but this year, you know, you look at the squad. They have Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors, you know, Burks when he comes back, George Hill coming from Indiana, playoff experience guard. Yeah, uh, Gobert is really becoming a beast. You know, they're good, but they're not, like, if they make the second round, it's a great season for them because they're not making the conference finals. They're not better than the Spurs. They're not better than the they're better than the Clippers. They're not better than the Warriors. They're not, I don't know if they're better than the Rockets or they're even better than the Thunder. Yeah. So they're a good team, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. I forgot to mention about the Lakers, though. They've been uh, You know, the Lakers, they play hard. You, it really shows what a new coach with a new system. Because, you know, Byron Scott really clashed with the young guys like Russell and, I think he's more of a and Jordan squad. Clarkson. Yeah, he's like a veteran squad, Byron well, Scott. Yeah, Byron Scott, he doesn't really know how to relate. That's why people say, and this is a perfect segue into our next topic, Phil yeah. Jackson. Yeah. But when people are talking about coaches from old school coaches when you look at George Carl he couldn't get along with DeMarcus Cousins Byron Scott can't get along with the young players D'Angelo Russell and well D'Angelo Russell was really immature last year with the whole Nick Young thing but right now you know Luke Walton got Nick Young and D'Angelo Russell (laughs) will be best of friends and the Lakers are are a fun team to watch Julius Randle had a triple double against the Nets the other night I think yeah Russell I mean it looks like he's not even a bust anymore compared to what he was last year I still think if the Lakers had that pick back they'd take Porzingis but no I mean not Okafor second pick well well, of course Porzingis Porzingis was I'd take Porzingis but over Okafor yeah right now well Porzingis it's between Porzingis and Townsend yeah you guys see these guys go back at each other yeah Porzingis is going to be best player 35 the other night yeah Best player of the league is going yep. to be one of these players. Probably. Yeah, Porzingis is looking great. That's going to be interesting. But, you know, the Lakers are an interesting team. They're they're developing a lot quicker than I think a lot of people projected, and I think Luke Walton's a big reason why, Yeah. which is something I never thought I'd say. <laughs> I never thought Luke Walton would be a head coach in the uh-huh. NBA. But, you know, it's funny. It's always the players that you think that won't be coaches will be coaches. No, like, I just you never expect the Phil Jackson uh, Maybe I no, Phil Jackson was a guy that a lot of but people thought. Mostly the role players, like not the. Stars. You know, you it's don't see like um, the guy. I think Magic Johnson for coach yeah. the Lakers for a little bit, but yeah. he was a disaster. Yeah, exactly. Like Isaiah Thomas was a coach. The only real good player that I, off the top of my head, there are probably others. Larry Bird was pretty good. Jason Kidd, I think he's slowly. You know, yeah, Jason with the Bucks. He has ego. He has a little ego. The Bucks, him. though. Yeah, ego no, because when you're such a great player, you. Get frustrated with your team's inability. Like, look, I I was able to do this really easily. Why can't you guys pick this up? Yeah. It's because you were such a great player, and you're coaching guys that aren't as good. Exactly. So that's the issue right there. Where it's like, you know, they're t- such a high level of standard, and the things come so easy for them. It's hard to impart 
like that level of easiness onto players who aren't that capable. Another guy, Rick Carlisle, wasn't a superstar. He's a great coach. Greg Popovich, Eric Spolstra didn't even play in the NBA. Tyron Lue, you know, he was Jeff Hornacek is, eh, but he yeah. was a role player. But he, he was al- an all-star. But he also relates to the young players, Jeff yeah. Hornacek, I think. More so that's what you have to do now. You have to relate to the young players. Yeah. That's why got, like, Lionel Hollins with the Brooklyn Nets ran out of town. He couldn't relate to anybody. Yeah, and then that's how they made the playoffs somehow, but then they got bounced out. And yeah. So, you know, going back to the Phil Jackson drama that we have against LeBron. The great Phil Jackson. The great Phil Jackson. Which I both think. Which I both. I think we both think is overrated. It is. That that drama that's going on right now. It's ridiculous. I mean, Phil Jackson had an interview with Jackie McMullen, who's who's probably one of the best reporters. One of the best. Big fan of Jackie. Yeah, in sports. Uh, Of course, he he wouldn't have an interview with her or anybody else because he, he trusts her over anybody. Um, and then, he, then one of the questions was about LeBron and his treatment. He had special treatment. They were, had. It was about LeBron, and it was he was talking about Pat Riley and how he was de- deals with players. Yeah. And the c- subject came up that LeBron and Pat butted heads because Pat's a no-nonsense, old-school guy. Everyone's treated the same. Yeah. And Phil Jackson brought up an incident where LeBron James wanted to stay overnight in Cleveland. And with you know his mom and his business partner and some of his friends and Eric and Pat Riley was like no that can't happen, I told the story like that but Phil Jackson used the term posse, which LeBron James found offensive and Carmelo Anthony kind of agreed with that that it was kind of offensive, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it personally. I don't I don't th- what the way it was being characterized by Maverick Carter tweeted it out as Phil Jackson was trying to. Di- you know, belittle them or like something that was racist. Which and wasn't at all. That, no, I'm gonna say that I'm. I Phil Jackson is one of the least racist people I can imagine. If you look at Phil Jackson's history, in, in political history, he's always been on the side of social justice. Always been protesting for social justice. He protested for the against the Vietnam War. Phil Jackson's been very politically active. And you look at guys, Magic Johnson came out and said Phil Jackson used a poor choice of word, but he's a good guy. Yeah. And I think that in today's climate, especially what we talked about earlier with Donald Trump and things like that, throwing the term racist and having that stigma attached to you could be really damaging. And I think that's unfair to Phil Jackson because I don't think he's a racist at all. He wasn't at all. I think it was also saying the fact that, look, listen, for, for – um for Pat Riley at the time when, you know, he was being the president and LeBron was on the heat. And, and that's and the other thing. LeBron James always got yeah, special treatment. he always got it. And, and the thing is, with, you know, one night there was this thing where you want to stay in Cleveland. They had to, the team as the team wanted to go over to, you know, for the next game and everything. So then Eric Spolso had to text Pat Riley, well, what should I do now and all this like stuff. Like, get him on the plane. Yeah, and Riley's like, get him on the plane. Like, you know, that's what he, he's not a no-nonsense coach. You're with the team. You're not, you're not against us. You're with us. You know. Yeah, you could have stayed in Cleveland. You didn't have to sign with us. You're on our team. Come on the plane. We have we have business to take care of. We have titles to win. And also taught him how to win. You know, exactly. I feel like Riley taught LeBron how to win and well, way too. They taught him how to win. And, so and, what do you think now, of the Phil Jackson thing, though? I, I think it's 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 over the top for no reason because, like we said before, Bajon is not really a racist person at all. I mean, no. he, he roommate with Walcott Frazier when they were you know with the Knicks and everything. Um, he had Michael Jordan, Kobe. He didn't say anything bad about them because you know they're they're players that want to win and also they're with the team most of the time because they want to win. LeBron has the special treatment because it's LeBron's league, and then you see players like Carmelo who who try to back up with Le- what LeBron's saying well, because Car- that's his teammate and that's also his friend. I think what Carmelo was he was upset about the fact LeBron got offended at the use of the word posse, but I think Carmelo was also upset about because Phil Jackson was 
speaking about LeBron James. And Carmelo's point was, we don't play Cleveland for a while. Why even talking about LeBron? We have a lot more problems here in New York where we're five and – what are they, four? Five and, five and, five seven. and seven right now? Yeah. Where they had a chance to get back to 500 against the Wizards, and they blew that even though Derrick Rose had a nice game with 27 points. But you, I – understand where Carmelo is coming from that perspective where, you know, you should be focused fully on the task at hand and trying to rebuild and build this team into a playoff contender. Yeah. It's because, like, as we were talking to Nicholas earlier, he was talking about how, you know, the Joakim Noah signing is something that Phil's going to regret. Might And regret. Phil Jackson should, in Carmelo's view, look to build around the Knicks and give up and find more pieces maybe to strengthen that bench instead of talking about what LeBron James did uh, when he was in Miami three years ago. Also, when you build around Melo, I think it's it's safe to say that when he plays up the four, you just have, you need to have two good defenders and then the center, of course, Porzingis. And yeah, but I think I just think we both agree, though, that this Phil Jackson thing is blown way out of proportion. It is, man. And I, if you look at, like, the newspaper headlines around the area, they were completely blasting Phil Jackson. And no I'm reason. curious, and I'm curious if he was, if the Knicks were winning <laughs> – or if this was Phil in Los Angeles and Chicago, if the newspapers would have Phil Jackson's back. Because I personally think that Phil Jackson should be defended here because I don't think what he meant to say he was racist at all. You could say it was out of touch, and you could say it was offensive because LeBron obviously took offense to it. But to call it racist is just an outright, it's just outright wrong. When you look at it from this standpoint, from the New York media, of course we like to hype up things because it's the Knicks. Except us, we are hyping it down. It's been the laughing stock of the league for like the past fifteen years. The Nets are catching up though. Oh, the Nets! You know, it's funny about the Nets because if Jason Kidd didn't come, they'd probably be irrelevant right now. But you know, at least they made him decent. But going back to the Knicks, it's just because it's the media and it's New York. I don't think this will happen in L.A. I don't think this will happen in Chicago. I mean, those those franchises. Phil Jackson maybe if changed. the Lakers or Bulls were struggling, and Phil Jackson said something like that, it would. But maybe given the fact the Knicks are struggling, and you know Phil Jackson was so hell bent on running the triangle, and yeah. it's not working out, and they're on their third or fourth coach since he's been here, and. Well, going back to this triangle thing that he had problems, he he said it even in this interview that about the whole uh, system basketball. That 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 makes sense. So you need a system basketball. You don't have to run the triangle eighty five percent of the play yeah. and eighty five percent of your plays and walk the ball up the court every after every possession. But you, if you need a bailout play, it's good to have a set play. And if it's run out of that triangle, that's not a bad thing. The Spurs, the Warriors, the Celtics, you could go down the list. Even the Cavs use parts of the triangle. Yeah. But they don't run it exclusively. Yeah, yeah. I think Phil wants the Knicks to run it more exclusively, which is weird because when he hired Hornacek, he said he'd let him do whatever he wants. And what Jeff Hornacek succeeds in is pace and space. You know, get the ball up the court, look for threes, spread the court, pick and rolls. If you looked at the game where Porzingis scored 35, yeah. there were a lot of pick and rolls, a lot of pick and pops toward the end of the game. And I think that's what Jeff Hornacek really excels in. And I, I think Phil Jackson is not a fan of that basketball. And when he looks down, he says, you know what, I won, I won you know, 11 championships, 13 total, two as a player, with running this system. And I know I what I'm doing. Him. I don't blame him for no, that. No, yeah. if, if he didn't have an ego after being a 13-time yeah. champion, do you think that's weird? Yeah, exactly. I don't have a problem with him. Like, like, he, he can say that because he's, he backed it up with the rings, but the fact that we're in a different era of basketball where he's, it's about pick and roll and, and spacing and the three, it's completely different. From he, he's he almost was. comparable to Doc Rivers in that. I'm not comparing their coaching status because <laughs> Phil Jackson is a much better coach than Doc Rivers, yeah. but ex- 
they both have tried to transition from head coach to executive, and both have struggled. I mean, Doc Rivers is as we well, Doc Rivers. You could say he's been a little bit more successful with getting most spades on a veteran minimum deal, which was unbelievable Mm -hmm. considering Mozgov got sixty-four million dollars. Yeah, most spades is a really good player, and he's in shape now. So, Clippers are really good. But back to my point was that Doc Rivers struggled at times with finding guys as an executive. Like, if you played for him, like Glenn Davis, he brought he brought Nate Robinson on a 10-day contract when he was with the Clippers because Nate Robinson played for him in Boston. It seemed like Doc Rivers has a little bit of trouble evaluating talent. And you could say the same thing about Phil Jackson because kind of, the Knicks are kind of a clumsy team right now. They don't really have a lot of guy bench depth. Yeah. You know, Courtney Lee at times it looked really good, could drop 16 points, and the next day could drop four and miss all his threes. It's, it's kind of disappointing. But looking at the whole Phil, Phil versus LeBron, we get to, before we get to a little bit of the Knicks and their struggles, um, you think this is going to be an ongoing issue? With well, if LeBron those? was ever going to come to the Knicks, it's not going to happen now. Well, yeah, and also he lost respect for him after what he said. So. And you know what? Phil Jackson probably lost respect for LeBron, for LeBron basically saying that Phil – Used the racist or had racist undertones. He doesn't care either because yeah, I don't think Phil Jackson cares. Phil Jack, you know, the New York media should be happy that you have somebody who's honest. And I mean, not they shouldn't be happy if he says something that's offensive. But the fact that Phil Jackson says what he thinks is something that should be appreciated. He also he's a Zen master. I think he's playing mind games with LeBron for all we know. Yeah, maybe right into this trap like he always does most of the time with Phil. Yeah, LeBron maybe made might have took the bait. Personally, when I read it. I, I never th- thought the term posse was racist. <laughs> I know or at all. I didn't think it at all. I but it obviously, joke. it's offensive, and I, I never saw it. I didn't. I didn't believe it was a, a racist term at all. I, I understand offensive, but how Maverick Carter on Twitter could say that Phil Jackson was trying to, yeah. you know, put them in the ghetto. I think I think that was despicable by Maverick it. Carter. I mean, I think only like a couple people understand Phil in one year. I think Michael Jordan does. I think Kobe does. Of course, Walkby Frazier does. And also around people around all him. his players, Ty Lu, Ty yeah. Lu played for Phil yeah, Jackson. Yeah, he, 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 like, he I, doesn't I, say anything, but he knows he's not gonna be racist yeah, about. What I don't he think said. Phil. No, Phil Jackson's not a racist, and any suggestions that he is is a little, a little much. Ridiculous. So you know, we'll go into now the little bit of the Knicks here because they lost yesterday. Oh, uh, they, they, uh, they uh, trap game. So yeah. frustrating. Trap, trap game. game. The Wizards just lost the 76ers. But you and know then the, the Knicks trap come. Game. It is a back second on the back to back. They yeah. just exhausted all their energy to, to beat the Pistons. And I thought if they, they had a comfortable lead with a 12-point lead, they should have put it on more and then have rest for the players. But they couldn't do that. And then that's why they got into the situation. Porzingis had 35, but he was also playing 40 minutes. And he, always, he didn't score a lot yesterday. So going back to that game, I mean, it's frustrating because, you know, they had all this momentum and they could have been 500. And it would have been nice for them to get back to them. 500. And then the question is, can they ever even get back to 500? I think they could get back to 500. I think, look, realistically, we both picked them. And I think to make the playoffs. Yeah. So they're probably gonna have to get to five hundred to make the playoffs. So I think they could get back to five hundred. I think the problem with the Knicks is that their continuity and chemistry is off. Derrick Rose misses most of trading camp with the civil trial out in Los Angeles. Joe Kim Noah was hurt at times. Yeah. You know, right now Jeff Hornacek is expe- is. Um, experimenting with lineups when you see sometimes Hernan Gomez is the first big man off the bench. He's trying to play Kazminskis a little more. He's playing Holiday a little more. Like in the second half of one of the games, instead of starting Joakim Noah, he started um, Justin Holiday. And they started winning, yeah. So and then he went off with a big run. So they're right now trying to find their groove. 
and I think it's going to take a little bit of time. When they're five and seven, if I think if they started out one and yeah. nine, yeah, it'd be if they were like the Pelicans, I'd be very, I'd be more concerned. The fact that they're five and seven right now, I think they're going to find their groove. And you saw a potential of how good they could be when you, they use Porzingis as the number one option. And I think that's the question they're going to have to face. Is oh, team exactly, and I think you have guys like Derrick Rose and Joe Kim Noah, and you know most of the Knicks bench look at Porzingis and say, you know, dump it down to him, and because and you have Carmelo who still has a little bit of the ego, so no, I need the ball, I need to take the most shots. I would not necessarily agree if with you that, saw though. if you saw some of the shots Carmelo took in that <laughs> Detroit game, if yeah. you look at that last possession where I think they could have extended the lead, yeah. Everybody touched the ball but Porzingis. And then Carmelo forced up a shot. Like, Derrick Rose would dribble, dribble, dribble until eight seconds on the shot clock, give the ball to Carmelo Anthony, he'd chuck up a shot. Porzingis would never touch the ball. Their offense would be Derrick Rose would dribble, dribble, dribble until there's eight seconds on the shot clock, five seconds, pass to Carmelo, and he'd chuck up a shot. You have to have better execution than that. And I think that's on Jeff Hornacek as well as Derrick Rose, the point guard. And Carmelo Anthony, I guess – has to take a bailout shot. Can't have a shot clock violation. Well, I but think Melo is trying to understand now that maybe this is the chance for Porzingis. This might be his team because he could still. Well, could still score. And I think Melo had twenty two that night. Porzingis had thirty five. So Melo could still score. Yeah, but he's getting, I think he understands though that the only they got to take it to the next level is if Porzingis is number one option and Melo got to take a step. I don't back. think. I disagree. I think Carmelo Anthony thinks that he's still. That upper echelon player on the level with LeBron James, well, on the level with Kawhi Leonard, on the level with Paul George. Well, talk to Dwayne Wade then, because I understand that Dwayne Wade sacrificed from when he was yeah. the Heat and, and LeBron. Well, also, Dwayne Wade can't shoot as well as Carmelo. He can't, so, but Wade understands this is a, the team thing. So he knows but LeBron, the, he has to take a step back. But the only LeBron. difference is that, like, Dwayne Wade would. He wouldn't be taking some of the pull-up threes Carmelo sometimes That's takes. That's true, and, and but I think well, I think for Melo in this stage of career, I think he's, he should be more of a sharpshooter. I think he should be the guy who shoots the three. It'd be and, nice and, if and they ran the out. triangle right and they put Carmelo in the corner, and when they doubled Porzingis, they yeah. Porzingis made a nice skip pass across the corner to Carmelo. But it's a it's a it's a process. I think Jeff Horgan's gonna understand that. I think he's trying to figure it out. I just don't understand, and, and I, we talked about be. this earlier. Why in the world Kurt Rambis is in charge of the defense? Because Kurt and Rambis also, why did he not have a coach appointed? To head the defense at first, like, what is Jeff Hornacek doing? Why would you know. do that? I think Carramus at this point. If anybody wants to have Carramus's job, I wish I had it because he's in a good situation where he, he might not get fired. Because Kurt Rambis literally could do everything wrong, and like he did. Like remember at the end of last year, where a guy, guys like Carmelo Anthony, guys like Aaron Aflalo, when he was here, had to go to him and say, "Look." We're clearly out of the playoffs. You have to play young guys right now. They have to get game experience. The fact that Kurt Rambis didn't realize that and was in contention for the head coaching job and now was remained on Hornacek's staff and is now somehow and for some reason that none of us understand in charge of the Knicks defense makes no sense and is amazing. I wish I had job security like that. I wish I, I could too. literally do everything wrong. And, and still be good. Uh, yeah. My contract, well, whatever. But you know, it's not gonna prosper for the Knicks. The next couple of games are at home. They gotta face the Hawks. They gotta face the Hawks are looking decent. They're looking good. Dwight Howard's having a decent year. Yeah, I think I don't know if he's gonna play that game though. I think he had like a quad injury, but uh, he also had the Blazers. That's a tough matchup. That's a tough matchup. I think you also have the Hornets as well. I mean, these are games that they gotta somehow win at home though because. They're that, doing that, pretty well at home so far. December this year. is a hell of a month for them. They're going on the West Coast trip. 
and they're facing the Warriors, they're facing the Suns, they're facing the Lakers. They're facing Suns all these are teams. terrible, though. Yeah, but the West Coast usually that kind of affects an East Coast team. Uh, yeah, the, the time the difference. Bulls. Except for the Bulls now, who have been Ooh. playing well in the West Coast, but like for the Knicks, I mean, they then prone to not being successful on the West Coast trip, so they gotta figure it out to be positive this month heading into December. Yeah, they gotta look to get some extra wins. They gotta look to get build some chemistry and yeah. all important practice time. Yeah, and basically when they're facing the Warriors on national television, so hopefully, well, they, hopefully a, they don't get blown out. Hopefully they have a positive record by that time at least, so yeah. they get competitive because they got they gotta face a team where they might have to play small ball most of the game. Especially with the Warriors. See, I, this is the problem I have. You can't match the Warriors small ball. You have to go big. You have to pu- push the ball inside. You have to give it to Porzingis in the paint. Like you can't match. You're not gonna you beat. You're not gonna. Yeah. You're not gonna beat the Warriors going small. If you look at the Warriors and Spurs on opening night, the Spurs stayed big. They gave the ball to Lamarcus Aldridge, That's who was true. getting guarded by Draymond Green. And Draymond Green is not going to grow to guard LaMarcus Aldridge in that game. If you watch that game, LaMarcus Aldridge hit a ton of turnaround shots off Draymond that were contested. I give you that. But LaMarcus was able to shoot over him. And that's what you got to do to beat the Warriors. Slow the game down and punish them inside. That's what Nicholas was saying earlier. You saw the Spurs have success. I mean, excuse me. You saw the Thunder have success in the playoffs last year with Babaka and Adams. Two big guys punishing the Warriors in the paint. That's that's true. Uh, maybe the Knicks will go big. We'll, we'll find out with that when that time. Well, Joel Kim though is struggling a little bit. Yeah, I think he. I think he's just come off the bench. That's tough. He's. I. We talked about this. He's in year one of a four-year, seventy-two million dollar deal. The only time that cap though, when it rises, I think it's gonna become a bargain. That's not no, if not eighteen million. You know what? Would have uh, Robin Lopez's deal would have been a bargain. But I've been on record saying I love Joakim though, and I was in favor of the. I was in favor of potentially acquiring him. Would you trade? But him? would you trade him though? For oh, you and, can't trade and him. And Courtney Lee for Clay Thompson, right? No now. one would make that trade. But what if the Warriors have been having discussions. If the Warriors, Thompson if the Warriors, if traded. if Bob Myers somehow they have a rim is, protector and they still have a shooter. I mean, Bob, no, that's the better. worst trade in the history of trades. But if Warriors, they do Warriors get better defensively. With no, the they protector, wouldn't. Rim protector. With no, the they w- and they no, they'd fly. No one's not playing that well. That's an awful trade. <laughs> But yeah, he's a good passer for them. He that would be better. literally the worst trade that the Warriors could make. You never know, man. No, I do I know. There's no way stuff. the Warriors would make that trade. Look it's not 2011 <laughs> where Joakim Noah finishes fourth in the MVP and wins Defensive Player of the Year. Well, this can't do that any, would be an awful trade. This can't do any trades anymore anyway. They have to no, but my picks, point was that be fine. If I didn't like the contract they signed Noah to. I like Joakim Noah because I think if they run, if they do run the triangle, he's the perfect center for it, and that's been evident if you look at his assist numbers. But yeah. he's struggled so far. It's going to be a long four years. Hopefully, maybe he's not healthy. Maybe there's something wrong with him. I mean, he hasn't looked that great so far this year. He's had a couple games where he's had high-level assists and high rebounds. But, you know, you need Robert Lopez last year. In addition to how well he played, he gave you a rim protector. He gave you the most important thing is if he played all 82 games. Yeah, certainly. Health. And you're going to have that. You're going to see those issues with Noah and of probably Rose, who's some who's been pretty good so far this year. I think we can agree. Yeah, on. I mean health, chemistry. These are the things that a team needs to be successful. And yep. right now they gotta have to figure out how. They to have the health a little bit, but they, they need the chemistry. Chemistry on defense, especially. I don't yeah, think it's defensively the they're defense. a joke. Yeah, they're, they're the disaster. They, they gave the up hundred. Look like a, at least a decent. They gave team. up one hundred twenty-seven <laughs> points to the Wizards. <laughs> That's a lot. Against against Wall and and keep my keep your eye on, on Wall and the Wizards because they're two team, and seven. The Wizards are terrible. Well, three, three and eight because they three beat the Knicks. Excuse but, me, but they're, they're, they're terrible. S- they're still terrible. And then Wall is actually getting fed up in Washington. You think Wall want to get traded? 
Possibly. Is he is he along with DeMarcus Cousins? Do you think they're guys who could can play considerably – No, could get traded. They want to play together, maybe. Well, of course. They play together in Kentucky. They want to play together again in the NBA. But, but I, th- I think maybe Wall or Cousins. We think Wall could get somehow – maybe do a trade for Wall with the Knicks. Somehow. No, they're not getting John Wall. You're just being a fan right now. They're not getting. You're not trading Courtney Lee and Joe Kim Noah for Clay Thompson. You're not getting John Wall. You're being. You're looking at it from a fan's view, not an uh, executive's yeah, view. Yeah, but, but look at this way: for the Wizards, they have an expiring contract if you trade Rose and you can get somebody else, and you don't have to get. You, Wall so for the that Wizards contract. are gonna break it down and rebuild. Yeah, they have to. Because I think Bill I don't keeps think getting, they Bill just signed Gortat. Yeah, but Gortat is an okay player. Bill keeps but you can't injured. you can't go both ways. Then you have to find a way to get rid of Gort. They just signed Bradley Beal to a max deal, five yeah. years, hundred plus the mil. Worst deal of all time because he keeps getting injured. Yeah, so you can't court. rebuild. You got to keep them. You got to keep the core together. Hopefully they can win. They were a couple games away from the Eastern Conference Finals two nah, years I'm ago. Not, I think they're a disaster right now. I don't think they're gonna make. No, the they are a disaster. They, they, they look like they, they Bill and Wall don't like each other. So I feel like one of them. Well, I don't traded. know if they don't like each other, but they definitely have struggles together on the court. One of them's gonna get traded. I don't know. think so. Well, I, I don't think, think I so. I think Wall might be the one who's traded because they signed Beal to that ma- massive contract. They're not gonna trade him. Well, they can't trade, trade him because yeah. of that disgusting contract. So Wall, so Wall might get traded for an expiring yeah. contract. You never know, man. I if mean, I think Wa- if Washington's thing. like three and forty, maybe. If Washington trades Wall to the Knicks for Rose, that's not gonna happen. Con- expiring contract. That's not gonna happen. You're being you're look, looking at it as a fan right now, not as an objective analyst. Our defense will be better though. We have Wall. I mean, he's just fast and when he can. Derrick Rose is fast. He's yeah, he can't defend for his life. Well, neither could John Wall. <laughs> you look at point guards. No, John, John Wall. John Wall could get some highlight chase down blocks, but he's not a great defender. He, he gets feet. some steals and steals. He's athletic enough to be the Yeah, he's defender. athletic. So is Derrick Rose. But Derrick Rose and John Wall aren't going to be defenders. John Wall's been in the league a long time. He's not going to morph into a great <laughs> defender. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. It's a long NBA season. We'll, we'll see if the Knicks somehow. The Knicks aren't have. making any of those trades that you, you Okay, they won't make proposed. any of those trades. But, but we'll see what the Knicks do in these next couple of weeks before they get to that awful West Coast trip. Yep. We got a little bit of time here because, you know, we had a long show about basketball here. Let's talk a little NFL. Jets, Giants, look, look, Giants are looking at eight and three after that we, we, big win we, against. Before we get to the Giants, could we just say something about no, the, the Jets? The Jets are terrible. They're on their bye week. Disaster. Bi- oh, they won on the bye week. Anybody wins on the bye week, but I'm no, no one wins. That means they don't. I mean, I guess not losing for them is yeah, a win, but yeah, but you know they they got the whole decision with Bryce Petty. I mean, listen, we'll did you hear? Find that did out. you watch Mike McCagnan's press conference? Yeah, he said some stuff. They're looking at. You know, he said he doesn't regret signing Fitzpatrick. <laughs> I don't he was that. really non-committal about Darrell Revis. Like th- theoretically, I mean, they owe him six million guaranteed next year, and he has a guaranteed, I think, seventy-two million of his salary signed. We might be watching the last uh, few games of Darrell Revis's Jets career right now. Yeah, we probably will. I mean, or unless he moves to safety because he's move, playing they, they awful. Move, they might move him to safety, man. I mean, I, I, they're either going to move him to safety. Or they might just cut him. They might just cut bait. Yeah, just let him go. And, you know, given, you know, how great Revis was. He wasn't great last year. He was still a really good cornerback. But, you know, the homecoming, the fanfare he got when he re-signed just two years ago. Mm. And they're going to cut him. And year two, after year two of, I think, a five-year deal, that's saying something. I mean, I don't believe this age stuff because a 38-year-old corner for the Vikings has been shutting down a lot of yeah, these Yeah, but that, that's an abnormality. You don't see that. Durrell at 31 with an ACL surgery. He's he's, he's breaking down. And Mike McCagnon also said some interesting things about, you know, Todd Bowles where he goes, you know, I think Todd Bowles will be a great coach one day. One day. 
But not, what about right now? Well, He's your coach. Right well, we'll find out what the decision with Bryce Petty is that they do start Petty. Then the, the and McCann had said something interesting there too. He said Todd has a final say, but it's a group decision, meaning that we have to evaluate these guys yeah. because we're gonna have a terrible. We're gonna have a top pick. Yeah. We might be able to take another quarterback, which would make no sense because the last two drafts, the Jets, I think maybe even three, if you go back, the Jets have drafted quarterbacks. So, I mean, they have to play petty. They have Their season was over. If we were talking earlier, after they pulled off that miraculous one, I think it was against the Ravens, where if they could go into their bye week at 500, maybe you still have a chance. But then they lost to the... They lost to the Dolphins, and then they lost last week to the Rams in yeah. a disgusting nine to six game where their kicker missed an extra point. Yeah, what probably could have been the, the it could have been it, it changes the game because yeah. then you needed field goal to take the win to to win instead of tie. But I don't know. The Jets are a mess right now. That's why I'm more much much more interested in talking about the Giants, who are looking really good. So yeah, they, they, we're, we're gonna have to figure it out with that whole situation with the Jets of Bryce Petty starting or not. But he should start. We need to figure out more about him as a quarterback. You need to you need do. to give him game reps. Yeah, so we gotta figure out what he is. But you know, let's go to the Giants here. Because Big blue four in a row. Yeah, Big Giant. They're they're looking at they're looking at fitting the next two weeks going eight and three because you got the Bears and then you got Cleveland. Yeah. At worst, seven and four. Yeah, I don't think that's gonna happen. At worst, so right now at eight and three, because when we made our predictions, we looked at the Giants' schedule and we picked the Giants to make the playoffs and win a lot of games. And I think the Giants are in really good position to make the playoffs. Their latter schedule after the the pancakes and pillow fight that should be in the uh, Browns and Bears are, I think they played the Eagles, the Cowboys, the Redskins. And the Lions. It's all the divisional games except for the Lions. And the Lions are yeah. a good team. The Lions are going to be yeah. fighting for something. So, the worst case scenario, the Giants should finish 8-8. Eight and eight. But I really think the Giants should go at least 11-5, and 12-4. and oh, four. I said 11-5 are going to the season. 11-5, 12-4 at the worst. And yeah. the Giants should be comfortable in the playoffs. And, you know, they still have a chance at the division. They're, they beat. They gave Dallas a loss early in the year. If Dallas doesn't run the table, the Giants could beat the Cowboys again. There's still a chance they can win the division. You know, the, under Ben McAdoo, the Giants are looking really good. They made that big gamble on Monday Night Football going for it on fourth and goal in the fourth yeah. quarter that – Ended Score. up being thrown yeah. to a rookie receiver that ended up winning them the game. I mean, the Giants are clicking on all cylinders right now, and it's exciting to watch. What should we expect from this Sunday, though? You think there's going to be a blowout? Be close the Giants game? need to beat the Bears. I mean, they they can't lose the Bears. I hope they don't lose the Bears because that's a terrible team. I mean, the Bears is functional of, of Cutler at quarterback and everything else happening no, around Jet- it is ridiculous. Yeah. So um, the Giants, yeah, they have a chance to win. I mean, Eli Manning, Odell, you know, dynamic duo right there. They still Victor doing Cruz work. might come back. Victor Cruz should be coming back. Uh, you also have she- Shepard. You have uh, hopefully James can give you some You got their defense, which looked really good. JPP, Olivier Vernon looked yeah. really good last week. James can give you some rushing Landon yards. Landon Collins with another interception who's having a great year. I mean, a team's coming together right now, and, yep. and this is their chance for, you know, this. especially... They no, can make a run in the playoffs. No one wants to face this team in the playoffs. No. The, the history that they have, they, it's just You like don't want to face Eli in the playoffs. Yeah. Eli has a penchant for coming up big. Yeah, especially on the road. I mean, all these road games that he's won, they hit, it's an NFL record for what he's done. Yep. And Joe Flacco, I think, second on that list. So even Mark with Sanchez that, is up on that list. <laughs> no, Sanchez. you think I'm... Jo- I'm not... Jo- I'm, being, I'm really serious. he's on the list. He's, he's won he's four road playoff games. Yeah, a lot of top quarterbacks he's being on that list. Still in the playoffs, but uh, yeah, like 
this is a team that you don't want to face. Is, is them, if the Ravens even somehow get to the playoffs, I mean, no one wants the Ravens either with what Flacco does. So it's like. No one wants to face the Ravens, the Steelers, because even though they might be struggling, yeah, you don't want to go against the Steelers because for, you know, really plus with no one wants to go against Antonio Brown or Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, that's a, that's so, a no. you can't stop. Yeah. So, yeah, so we'll see what happens. Hopefully uh, the Giants uh, – they went th- th- uh, this Sunday, and they went next week, and then from there, the schedule is going to be a little bit tougher, but yeah. I think they have a chance to do something special. Yeah, I think the Giants can make a run. Yeah, for sure. So that's got to do it for today on Slam City. You can follow us on iTunes and subscribe also on SoundCloud. Uh, you can follow the Slam City Facebook page, and you can follow the host at More in This Time. At Jeremy EPS, and we want to thank our guests for coming on taking the time. Thank yeah. Nicholas. Yeah, you can also follow him on Twitter as well. Uh, you can follow also the big Dunkers website at the Dunkers 60 on Twitter because there can only be one. Yep, and we're off next week most likely, so. Yeah, Thanksgiving. Day after Thanksgiving, Ray has a big, big event with his wife. And whoa, 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 whoa. Just take it easy there, okay? My girl. Not one. But, yeah, I mean, enjoy your Thanksgiving and we'll see Happy you Happy Thanksgiving. All. See you in a couple weeks. A couple weeks.